Well, how are we doing today? Um, if you have your Bible, you want to go to the book of Jonah. I'll tell you in a second why we're in Jonah. I planned it, yep. There's a whale that's going to show up a little bit later. It's going to be great. So uh, we're in this series uh, called The Story. And really what we're doing in this series is we're trying to explain the grand narrative of the Bible. Um, through the terminology creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I'll explain those in just a second. But here's the, here's the powerful thing about this idea of story. We love stories, don't we? Like stories are like the language of the world. Right? I mean, think about it. Think about when you're sitting on the couch and you're watching a movie. Like you enter yourself into that film, right? Like, you become the character, so like, their real, their highs, like, you're like on the edge of your seat, like, with them, like, they're low, like, you're feeling the pain that they're experiencing, the darkness that they're experiencing, you're climaxing where they are, and, because we engage in stories, we make them our own experience, and we even identify with things we've never been through because of stories. Okay, use this as an example. When you get together, and you talk with your friends, especially friends you haven't seen in a while, how do, you, how do you engage in dialogue? Oftentimes it's through stories, right? So it's like, man, the other day, like, I was at the store, and you're not going to believe this, this guy came running in, and all of a sudden, and it's just like, that's how we communicate. It's like through story. We communicate to our kids that way. We communicate to our coworkers. Stories are really the language of the world and actually the language of the kingdom of God. Um, if you're familiar with Matthew chapter 13, at about verse 10, Jesus is having this, and you can look it up because we're not going to go there, but Jesus is having this dialogue with his guys, with his disciples, and he says, or his disciples come to him and they're like, okay, we need to check. Like, why in the world do you always tell stories? Like, remember this? Like, the, the, uh, one of the words is used as parables. It's like, why are you always speaking in parables? And then Jesus turns around and he says this, he says, Stories are the means by which my Father will open blind eyes and open hard hearts and open deaf ears. I'm going to use stories to do that. Stories give us the, ab the ability to see the picture and not just lose sight in the snapshot. So um, we're talking about the, the story of God. And as I said a second ago, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Um, Simply put, we're familiar with the storyline of God coming into the world, or God creating the universe. God didn't, wasn't created. Um, he, he created the universe, perfect, good, holy. And he's like marveling over it, right? Like you get the picture of Genesis in your head. He's marveling over the creation account. And then what happens? The fall. Sin comes into the world. The brokenness, the fracture, evil begins to reign so much so that God like says, I'm going to destroy it all because I'm sick of it for what happens. Like the fall, it's wretched and wicked and God has every right to do what? Destroy us. Right? But what does he do? In his grace, in his love, in his mercy, he offers redemption through the person and work of His very only Son, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus comes and dies to pay the price for the sin of those who will put their faith and trust in him. And then what happens? He promises that one day, because we're living in this like already but not yet, that one day he will come and he will restore all that's been broken in the fracture of sin and all the peace that's been lost and all the perfection that's been lost. He says, one day I'm going to wipe away every tear. I'm going to remove death. And everything is going to be perfect once again. That's, that's the story of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation. Now, here's the thing. Your story either fits within that or you're trying to do your own thing. Um, one, uh, one guy, um, he's got a really sweet last name. Put that up there, um, David. His last name is Shoemaker. I don't know if he made shoes or not, um, but he wrote some good quotes uh, nonetheless. He says, our lives must find their place in some greater story or they will find their place in some lesser story. So we're either doing our own thing, trying to create our own story outside of God's story, or we recognize that the grand story is a story written by the redeeming, faithful creator God, and our story comes up underneath that. And in his mercy and in grace, he invites us into his story. It's crazy. Now, here's the deal. This morning, we have the privilege to hear from one man and how he was trying to do his own story. And what happened when he realized that his story was actually the lesser story and there was a greater story going on. Um, Watch this story of, of Ben. Yeah, so I mean, I grew up um, in a family that my mom and dad were married. Um, church was a huge part of our of our life. We were there all the time. They led uh, the children's ministry, so it was it was like we were always there, and it was always around us. Um, you know, elementary school was Christian elementary school, Christian middle school, um, and in that atmosphere, it was it was kind of sheltered. It wasn't like I had the it would have been hard for me to get off track. It wasn't, there wasn't a lot of options to, to make a wrong decision. Um, and I think, I think that kind of lead, led to me not having a whole lot of my faith tested in my earlier years. Um, I pretty much was going to be okay whether I was believing strongly or not or whether I had a, a great relationship with Christ or not. It was going to be okay because I was in that sheltered atmosphere. I mean... My, I think my mom whited out the word luck from like kids' books that we would read. You know, it just wasn't. It wasn't like that was that was worldly to her, and that wasn't luck didn't exist. You know, you were blessed. It wasn't ever lucky. So I think that I think because of that, it was it was a good upbringing, except that I just didn't have that. I didn't have that really strong faith. So going from middle school of a class of twenty eight students into high school. Um, with having over 300 students just in, in our grade, it was it was like stepping out into this thing I've never experienced before, um, and meeting all these people and learning about all these things and having all these options to pursue that that weren't weren't there in my younger years. Um, 
And I think I kind of just went along with the crowd a lot because it was it was hard to fit in, and you wanted to be. I mean, I wanted to be accepted. Um, I didn't know. I knew like two people going into in the school. So towards like my junior and senior year of high school, it was I was hanging out with a lot of guys I played baseball with, and a lot of they were into going out on the weekends and drinking. So that's what I started to do too. Um, it was a, you know like every Friday night. That was what who where are we gonna go? How are we gonna get alcohol? What are we who are we gonna hang out with? Um, and that just continued into college. I went to college with a lot of the same people that I graduated with. Joined a fraternity. Um, I mean even like my freshman year of college, I think I got like a point eight nine. You know I, I passed like two classes. Um, I had all this freedom to make choices, and I was just doing I was just doing whatever I wanted. I was just. I was just picking myself. I didn't really have any major purpose um, in my life. So um, I think it was towards like the end of my sophomore year, or beginning of my sophomore year of college, because uh, I did make it through my freshman year of college. Um, I, I started. I had. A, I finally had like a serious relationship. Like I was dating someone. It was. It was more than just like a high school fling. It was. I was thinking that this might be something. You know that we might get married. Um, so I. We dated like two years, and I I proposed because I thought, okay, this was the next thing to do. Um, you know, my my view of marriage growing up was my mom and dad, and I figured we would get married and everything would be perfect, and I would get my life back on track as far as with my religion and with going to church and just with you know it would be like it was when I was growing up. So we get married, and it's not how it worked out. It wasn't happily ever after. I mean. I had a, a view of marriage, she had a view of marriage, um, it was different from mine. We didn't have any type of faith to, to build our marriage on, so it was within, I mean it was a short period of time, it was just, it was a train wreck, it was just a total disaster. Um, and the only, I mean all I could do, because I didn't have like faith to lean back on, all I could do was blame her or blame other people, or blame circumstances, or try to just avoid it and hope that it would get better. So it was like six months into that marriage that she moved out. And it was, I mean, that was the end of it. It wasn't, she was done, and it, there was no going back. I mean, I think even even in like my pursuit to try to, to get back together with her, I don't think that that was any type of I wanted to be honorable to God pursuit. It was more of just I want to protect myself you know I want to put a show on for my parents that I that I want to make this marriage work but really it was that I didn't want to admit to anyone that it was going to be a failure every time over and over again because there wasn't there wasn't any type of there was no Jesus in it at all um, so that time when, when she moved out and basically it was what was done was done and it wasn't going to work out that was hard to that was really hard to admit to my family and to myself that, you know, I failed. Um, There's just a lot of guilt in it. Um, it was just a lot of despair. It didn't, I didn't have, really have very much hope. So in the midst of all this, I, I meet Stephanie, and I know that she has this Christian upbringing. Um, I, don't, I don't know her at all. I knew her brother. Um, but... I meet her and we start hanging out and it's, it's like a, a breath of fresh air meeting her because she has, she has been going through hurt and I have been going through hurt and we both are 
wanting something better and we're both wanting to we're both wanting to start to get in the right sink and start to get in the right path and so we, we bond over over the hurt that we both have felt I mean we went our first date we went to bunkers and I think I talked about my ex-wife and she talked about uh, Boston's biological father most of the time like we we basically just traded stories there wasn't a whole lot of a regular date conversation it was pretty serious from the beginning um, but it was that was that's what I needed like that was I needed I needed that community to talk to someone that wanted to wanted to be wanted to have a, a life that was different than what they were living out and wanted to have a life where they weren't the ones in control and they weren't the ones calling all the shots and a life where they were going to accept the grace and mercy that that they were that they've been given not try to do it all on their own. And so, you know, we, we date for six months and, and we get married and then we're living together and we have Boston too and we have all this hurt that we still are dealing with. Um, so it, it wasn't picture perfect and there was, a, there was a lot of struggle. I mean, there was a lot of fighting, there was a lot of me not making her happy, her not making me happy. Um, and we didn't have, I mean, we, we were living in our house and we had Stephanie's parents and we had my parents, but we didn't have, we didn't have a church community in any way. Um, and we, we desired that and we looked, we were looking for that, but I mean, it's hard to find that. Um, and it's hard to, it's hard to put yourself out there at a church and feel like, well, are they going to accept me or not? You know, are they going to... Am I going to be judged? Um, so it was it was tough, but... I don't think we really... I don't think I understood what the gospel really meant. I don't think I understood that I, there's grace and mercy no matter what. Um, so... Finding North Church and talking to people and like getting an understanding of the gospel and having people accept us. A real long time. That's what, like, that's what the redemption is. So there, there was definitely redemption in our relationship, but there's still, I, I just, I think it's so important that redemption doesn't equal perfection. It doesn't mean that you fall once and then you have a great story to tell. It means that you're probably going to fall again. Um, but the difference is having that faith that's been tested, it keeps getting stronger and stronger every time. Um, and having a church community and having a wife that has a common goal, um, that makes the difference and that's what makes that's what makes it worth it. So for Stephanie and I I think this this feeling of understanding the gospel and of redemption and of failures turning into to learning experiences and to growth, I think it's I know it's propelled us that we want other we want other people to feel that same acceptance and that same grace and mercy that we felt whenever we found North Church, whenever um, whenever people just were there for us. We want other people to feel that same way. So, I mean, I think that it's so important for 
I mean, a lot of kids grow up and they don't, they don't ever have any type of religion taught to them. They don't have anybody telling them that, you know, it's okay to mess up. It's okay to, uh, to fail, that you are still accepted no matter what you've done or, or where, you know, where you are in your walk or lack of walk. Um, so I think that, I mean, that, that's, that's the calling, that's what we're supposed to do, that's what we, otherwise it's just us just holding on to this and it's just this really personal thing and that's not what it's meant to be. It's meant to be that we go out and that we tell other people the good news and we share that and whether that means that we're doing a reading program at school and just hanging out with kids or whether that means that we're, you know, getting to know our neighbors and trying to push, you know, push into them and learn their stories and, and, and put the gospel into that and, and show them why, um, why they're accepted and no matter what they're accepted. Um, I just think that it's so important because it's really easy to just stay in, in our own little community, in our own little bubble and just be, you know, be good, be okay because we have each other and we know that we're accepted. We know that we have grace. We know that every day is going to be all right. Um, but if we just do that, then it's kind of meaningless. It doesn't. It doesn't grow anything. So thinking back through um, through all these occurrences and, and preparing to to give this to tell my story, it's it's just crazy to think about all these stops that I had along the way, and you know the foundation that that my parents laid, and then you know getting off and just doing my own thing and then and then coming back and marriage and finding out what the gospel is through all of that even the, the toughest of times I know that the, the story was the way that it needed to be it, it was God that was putting me where I needed to be um, to propel me forward and to give me experiences to be able to share with other people and so I, I know my story is not complete um, I know that there's going to be more failures. I know there's going to be more redemption. I know that uh, I know that I don't. I'm not the one that's going to control where it's going to go. It's going to. It's going to do. It's going to be what God wants it to be. Um, and I hope He just continues to work through me, so I can share with other people, and I can. I can let other people know that, that you know there's redemption, there's grace, there's mercy, um, and that's the whole purpose. It's his story. Um, he's going to use it through me, but ultimately, it's his. It's been a long time, a real long time. So go to the book of Jonah. And I love that the Creator God actually comes down and He enters and He engages into personal lives. When I asked Ben about um, what he uh, identified, can I tell this? Okay. Um, I said, uh, so is there a story that, that you could identify with in the Bible um, that would kind of go along with your story, kind of in your mind, or something you resonate with a lot? And he, he literally said... Um, uh, you know, I've thought many times before that it, hanging out in the belly of a whale would be, do really good for my pride. So I said, all right, let's do it, Jonah. Jonah it is. So I want to use a little bit of Jonah's story uh, to kind of parallel Ben's story and, and really begin to see what the Spirit wants us to learn from this. So um, look, at, uh, look at Jonah chapter 1, beginning at verse 
1, it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Just stop there. Don't worry, we're not going through every verse, so it's not going to be like this. But, but, but think about this, okay? Because <laughs> um, that wasn't even the whole of verse 1, was it? Um, oh, it was, sorry. But think about this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Okay, that's one of the things I love about Ben's story is God in his creation, in his plan, in his design, he sets this foundation for Ben. Where the, the word of the Lord is actually what's taught to him, is what is the foundation that sets the course. Now, it didn't get a hold of his heart until years, years later. But like in the beginning of his journey, God puts him in a family that, that loves the Lord. It teaches him the word that raises him up to know the Lord and really beginning to weave the fabric of the name of Jesus into Ben's story. Now, and here's, here's the thing I want you to hear, because some of you have stories that are similar to Ben, and some of you have stories that are nothing like Ben's. And we talk about stories, a lot of times you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't have that great of a story. Right? And if you were here a couple weeks ago when Kenny was up here talking about his journey running from the cops and his prison time, and you're like, that's a story of God's grace. Now listen, this is a story of God's grace. Marking a man's heart with, the, with his word, the word of the Lord, in the same way that it came to Jonah, and he didn't receive it, but it persevered him to when he would receive it. But keep going. Verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come, upon, or has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. This is, this is Jonah's fall. Right? He didn't receive the word of the Lord. He, didn't, he was unwilling to actually do what the Lord wanted, and what we talked about earlier. He was wanting to write his own story. He thought, I, I know a better way. I have a better plan. I know how to, this plays out better than the one who actually designed me. Right? We, see, we see that in Ben's story. Or his fall is, is even growing up in a Christian home, he begins to say, you know what? Like, I think I can do this on my own. I think I can go and figure this out. I think I can go and be married, and I don't really need the Lord in my marriage. We'll just figure it out because I'm a, I'm a smart guy. And the Lord used that pride to actually wreck Jonah and actually wreck Ben. Um, Proverbs puts it this way, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If you want to experience a fall, then just get really cocky and make it all about you, and you're going down. Okay? And a couple other people can testify about that. Um, that's what happened. Pride goes before, it's like, my way's better. Like, I know this better than you do, Lord. It's this, this disregard. Here, the Creator God is inviting Jonah into this journey and into this story, right? Even in Ben's situation, he's in a home where he's taught all of this. Like every day, he's consumed with it, but it never became this personal thing. He never owned it. His heart was never softened to it because he's like, I can do this. I got this. I don't need what the Lord has. And it's crazy that God uses. Get this. You know that failure, you know, think about failure. What have you failed at? Human failure on God's watch 
is never a waste. Because it was in the moments of Ben's struggle and his wrestle and in a failed marriage that God actually began to weave the fabric of redemption and, and restoration in his heart and break down his pride and get Ben's attention. Hey, you're making this about you. I want to write a story. I want to invite you into my story, but you're doing your own thing over here and it's going to go bad. And I just want to remind us, all of us this morning, that wherever you're trying to do your own thing, you know, God's over here and I'll come to church a little bit and we'll, we'll, we'll chat. Hey, how's your story going, God? Well, you know, here's my story. And we'll, we'll chat about our stories. God's like, no, I'm inviting you into my story. And then we see it. What happens to Jonah? He ends up in the belly of a whale. Listen, rebellion never takes God by surprise. Right? I mean, for those of you that, that, are, that are parents of, of older kids, adult kids, like you, you think of times when your kids rebelled and, and there maybe was this element of like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Right? God's never like that. He's never like, what is Ben do? Like, oh, Holy Spirit, like, we're in a bind here. I mean, we were counting the kingdom of God on this kid named Benjamin Hammond, and like, oh, good, who else can we go to? We need to find, we need to find somebody else. No, God's not like that. God's not taken by surprise in our rebellion. And here's what's crazy. Ben didn't even know what he needed, but God in his pursuing love knew what Ben needed and knew the exact failures. I love, I mean, you heard it in his story. I love what he's like, like God knew the story and he knew the journey. He knew exactly what I needed to walk through to get me to where I am today. And think about that. Because when we look back on our lives, some of us, and we're like, gosh, that should have changed that. I'd change that. I'd change that. I'd change that. And God's like, wouldn't change a thing. Because it's those very things that I'm using to weave my grace and my mercy into your life and into your heart. So that you would then begin to live up under my story. It's crazy. It's crazy. Now look at uh, chapter 2. Jump to chapter 2. Let's read this prayer by Jonah. He's hanging out in probably one of the most awkward places on earth. And here's what he says. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Like, isn't that just good news? Like, what a prideful moron Jonah was. In a, I mean, think about this. In the belly of a whale. Like, if I was God, I'd be like, you're going to stay there. Right? I mean, like, put your kids in time out, and you're like, no. Daddy, can I get up? No, you're going to stay there until I feel better about myself. Right? So that's not good parenting, so don't follow that example. He called out to the Lord, and what happened? He answered. Like that, right there, like, I don't care how much you've walked away from the Lord, call out to him, and he answers. He answers. On the belly of Sheol I cried, and he heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. Like, picture this. God cast him into this. God's the one who said, you're going to go experience this so that I could open your eyes and get your attention. You cast me into the deep. 
All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Like, okay, get that. Like, that's the word of the Lord for Jonah here in this picture. Like, he's like, I know the word of God. I know the promises of God. And I've been cast away from your sight. Yet I'll see it again. Because that's what God's promise is. He claimed that. He clung to that. That was his hope that forgiveness would be available. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I hate when that happens. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Just picture that. That's a prison. Maybe this morning you're in a prison and life and circumstances have you imprisoned. Your choices and your decisions have you imprisoned. God wants to say, I want to free you this morning in the same way that I freed Ben. I want to free you. Not to be perfect, but to understand my grace and my mercy and to put all that you are into the perfection of my son. Yet you bound up my life from the pit. You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Love that. Love that. And my prayer came to you into your whole temple. Like, that's just crazy. Like, that sinful human beings, like, we can talk to God and it will, it will reach him. Because of the work of Christ, we have access. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a priest. You don't need a super spiritual person. You just need to humble your heart and talk to the one who made you. My life was fading away. I remember the Lord and my prayer came up, came to you in your holy temple. And then check this out. Those who pay regard to vain idols forfeit their hope of steadfast love. It's like when we begin to pursue, like this is, this is what's going to save me. This is my hope. Like this marriage, like, I can figure this marriage out. That's what I need. I need a girl. Like, I'm, I can figure this out. And that's what we run to. We're basically saying, I don't need the steadfast love and mercy of God. But, verse 9, I, with the voice of thanksgiving and with sacrifice to you, I have made, or what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So I love that. I love that picture. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And I love, I love because I believe that in, in large part for Ben, for him to experience the accepting love of Christ, you know what it took? It took people that would accept him. Like if you ask him, ask him and Stephanie about their experience coming to North Church. Some of you have heard it, some of you know it. Like it was coming to a place that says, You are loved. I don't care what you've done, I don't care what you've been through. Like, come on, like you're loved. We want to walk with you, we want to accept you because we're a broken mess here. you're accepted and you're loved because that's what Jesus does with us that was the means by which he found the grace but here's what's crazy and here's what I love about Ben's story is that so often the work of redemption in our lives it stops there praise God like he redeemed Ben from the pit Ben put his faith and trust in Christ he found an amazing wife 
and they live happily ever after. That's, that's not their story. Because there's another piece of the puzzle called what? What's the word? Restoration. And restoration actually gets us outside of ourselves. It actually takes us outside of, God, well, I can't believe what you've done for me. A lot of times we stop there. We stop there. And God's like, no, what I've done to you, I want to do through you in you being a means of restoring what's been broken, not only in your own heart, but in the heart of your wife, in the heart of your kids, in the heart of your coworkers, in the heart of everybody that the Lord would, by his mercy and grace, enable you to encounter. Restoration. It's the confidence that one day the Lord's going to come back and make right what's been wronged by sin and by the fall. The confidence. And here's, here's what's crazy about the picture of restoration in the life of a Christian. If you're a Christian, your life should be a foretaste of heaven to the world. That when the world looks at you, they might not understand it, but they should get a picture of what the Father's like in sending His Son and what heaven will be like. A foretaste of heaven. It would be like a movie trailer of what heaven will be like. That's kind of scary because you're like, gosh, I'm giving an awful trailer, right? But that's what restoration is. That's what restoration is about. Go back to um, Jonah, Jonah 3. Look at verse 1. It says, when the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So by this time, let me stop. By this time, the whale spits him out of his mouth, which had been a delightful experience. So Jonah's, I guess, sitting on dry ground or somewhere. Um, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. This is grace right there. You know, because a lot of times we're like, I told you, and you're not going to listen, so we're just done. But he's like, no, I'm going to tell you again. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah obeyed. He gets up, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, Three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. I'm going to stop there. Here's what's crazy about the work of the gospel and redemption in your own life, is it makes you see beyond yourself. So, um, let me tell this, this part of their story, of his story. Sorry, I know you don't want any part of this. Um, Sorry, you're kind of automatically drawn in. Let me, let, me, let me tell this part of their story, and then we'll respond to the Lord. Here's what I love about when the gospel actually begins to take root in your heart, is that it changes your view of, of your own comfort. Um, several years ago, um, Ben and Stephanie were determined, hey, we're, uh, we're going to move out of here. We're going to sell our house. We're going to get out of North County. They, put, they fixed up their house. God begins to work in their heart, work in their heart, work in their heart, and all of a sudden the Lord's like, we're staying. The, the gospel realization, they're like, initially, a, a, apart from that, or prior to, to realizing the work of the gospel, even in their own life, to make them restorers, they're like, we're moving. We're getting out of North County, we're going to go find, you know, better schools, we're going to go find neighbors that don't have, you know, house visits from the cops once a week, we're going to go find, you know, better community, and we're going to, you know, get where things are better. That lie, right? And you ask them, and in spite of one bathroom in their house, they're like, 
we're here because the Lord's transformed our hearts. And through us, he wants to transform our neighborhood and he wants to transform our city. So they're involved in the schools. They're loving on their neighbors. And they're speaking the gospel to the people that God's put in their lives. Because when, when the gospel takes root in your heart and you experience the redemption of God, it will push you out to be a restorer in your world. Don't stop the gospel message in your journey. Don't stop at redemption. Be a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Because here's what's crazy. Authentic gospel transformation will always lead you out to restore to get you outside of yourself. And when we fail to go outside of ourselves, we fail to understand and really be people that are about the gospel. Listen, God wants to do a, a work in and through your life. So no matter where you're at, no matter where you identify with this story or not, listen, here's the good news today, is that God is a God who pursues individuals. He's not distant. He's personal. And he wants to, to know you personally. He wants you to know him personally. And the crazy thing is, is that like, it'd be, wouldn't it be great to be like, your story's done, like redemption and restoration. And, but no, the story isn't complete. And so, so I said, pray for Ben. Right? We're like, man, look at what God's done in this man. Pray that the gospel would continue to go in his heart and in his life and out through his life and out through his family. Yet in the midst of the brokenness of who we are, God chooses to use us. So I just want to put some questions up on the screen that are really directed at your heart as we prepare to respond to the Lord. And here are the questions. Where do you find yourself on the spectrum of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration? Man, where, where's God engaging you? Maybe you're in the fall. And God wants to show you you're so stinking prideful and you think you can do this all on your own. And I've allowed you to get right where you're at because I want to open your eyes and humble your heart to the fact that I am God and you are not. And you need me. Maybe you're in the creation. Maybe you're in the redemption. Maybe God's wanting to push you out into the restoration. Secondly, how is God pursuing you? And will you respond? Will you respond? If, if you come here and you don't respond to God, like you're really wasting your time. But my encouragement to you would actually be that he's trusting and he's loving and what he calls you to do, like if you walk it out, like you will find a good and faithful God on the other side. It might not be easy. It might not be always fun. But gosh, it's incredible to watch God's faithfulness. And then lastly, is your life lived out as a Christian marked by a foretaste of heaven? Is that who you are? Is that who you desire to be? Because I'm like, as I re- as even as I think about that question personally, I'm like, gosh, I feel like I'm a, f- a horrible foretaste. Spirit, help me. Help me. Let's pray. Prepare to respond to the Lord. Verse 9 of Jonah's prayer, when he's in the belly of the whale, he says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God, thank you that you are a God who saves. Thank you that you are a God who does the work of transforming hearts. 
And God, the doubt that's present in this room, would you squash it with, with your presence? The unbelief that's present in this room, the unbelief that's present in my heart as to the means by which you can restore my brokenness, as to the means by which you can restore the brokenness in my neighborhood. God, squash it because you are the God of salvation. It belongs to you. God, thank you. Thank you for inviting us into your story. And I pray, God, that you would engage us on a personal level. That we would just look back at one individual and celebrate you. But we then look at our own selves and say, God, what do you want to do? Would you move among us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.